0: The story,
1: change the lines. What if we took the time to get to know a person? Not just the first impression, but their story. I'm Shani Payton, and I am bringing you along as I learn that I am not alone in this journey of life, and neither are you. Join me every week as I hear courageous stories of inspiring individuals determined to leave an impact on this world. I speak with many who have suffered through challenges I myself have been through. Such as living in a cult, infertility, foster care, adoption, and mental health illness. I have experienced firsthand how the stories of others have impacted me in my journey of healing. My goal is for you to feel that you are not alone in your struggles. Let's heal together, and you know I'll be bringing some fun along the way. Now let's dive in to some emotional, scary, humorous, and heroic stories. Thanks for coming along as I continue to grow. Welcome to the Shanty Pants Show
0: this is the moment it's time to turn the page
1: i am so excited to bring you a story from kayla cotton today she has an amazing life story to share with you all we actually uh, have crossed paths in our past before our dads are friends and we come from a very similar background But she just has such a story of courage and determination. And she is currently on hospice, but she really wanted to get an interview in. So we did an interview without Mike's kind of spur of the moment. It turned out amazing. She just has such an amazing story to share. We would love to get her on the podcast again. So we are hoping that maybe she fills up to it. She really would like to do another interview. Uh, because she does have so much to share with us. So I hope you guys enjoy. She's such an encouragement and has just such an amazing story to share with us all. I'm so excited to have you here, and I'm so excited to share your story with the world. You have so much to share with us. So first of all, why don't you start with letting us know who you are?
2: Well, first of all, Shannon, I just want to thank you for having me on this podcast. It's It's a great honor. My name is Kayla Cotton and I'm 25 years old. Um, Right now, I have just recently gone on the hospice, so I don't know how much more detail I should go in right now, but I'll leave it there for this moment. Perfect. Perfect.
1: Well, let's start a little bit further back. I know we have a little bit in common there. We grew up in the same type of environment, but in different states. So we have never um, met in person, but our dads are friends. I mean, have we? I, you know, have there is a camp? there is there is a chance that we have crossed paths. I don't... Just because of all the camps? Right. I feel like, I don't know. There is that chance. We probably should figure that out because that we would be kind of cool if, uh, mm-hmm. if we had proof of that. But I do know that our dads Thanks. are friends. Thanks. Why don't you talk a little bit about growing up and kind of what your childhood looked mm-hmm. like um, from your point of view?
2: Yeah. So... I was in the um, I was in the eastern the east coast side of the cult, um, which included mainly Virginia, um, all up in Virginia, um, Northern Virginia, Fred- Fredericksburg, um, Charlottesville, Richmond, and a few small areas in between. And it accumulated at its peak to about three hundred and fifty to four hundred people. Um, so life for me growing up was, I didn't have, um, any outside friends growing up. I was, I was occasionally allowed to interact with my, um, with my neighbors, but it was very, very controlled and it was always reminding there of the world. You can't be with them. You can't be with them. So it was always anybody I did have access to. It wasn't really acceptable for me to be close or to be friends with them and I was homeschooled. And as a woman, um, education was not something that was valued very highly. So for my brothers getting their high school GED was like, they needed to do that because they needed to be providers and workers. And they started working, you know, at 16 and getting there in college at 17. And it was like a big thing for them. But for me, it was like, I was raised to be a wife and mother uh, to have children. That was my purpose in life. And so I didn't really get that great of an education. It wasn't, there wasn't, um, so by the time that I, uh, after I was sick for a while and I did go to school, so this would have been my 10th, this would have been my 10th grade year. Um, I tested into school and I tested in at a math grade level, about four, third or fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I was supposed wow. to be a junior in high school at this point in time. And so, um, my reading comprehension was pretty good because mainly my schoolwork was just reading books. It wasn't really learning Mm -hmm. concepts. So I, within those three years at school, I felt like I pretty much had to catch up on everything that I, um, in three years and the first year was a big struggle, but I I finally got through it and I graduated with a 3.9 GPA. So I was very proud of myself. Um awesome. proud of myself not just because of getting a good grade but because of knowing um how hard it how much work it took to get there and how valuable it was for for me to ha- get that diploma and say yes, I worked for my education and then to be able to go to college um and be the first person i believe in anybody in any of the um in any of the assembly any of the cult groups that went I think, I believe I was the first person to go off to college and, and, in the, so as a girl, as a girl, you know, go stay in a dorm. And at least in my Virginia area and the Texas area, um, I didn't know of anyone who else who was doing that. So my family was very scared at first because, you know, we had been isolated from the world. Um, but so growing up, um, you know, I, I got to that point of overcoming, but growing up was, very isolated. I, I struggled with interacting with people. I was very shy. Um, I struggled with, um, speeches, speech issues. I have multiple learning disabilities, which I didn't know till I got older. I have like eight learning disabilities and speech, different speech things. Um, but we didn't know that till I got older, um, and ADHD and all that, of course. Um, And so I was very isolated as a kid and I really struggled. Um, I really struggled fitting into the group because you had, you know, four peers that you had to get along with. And that was the only kids you had interaction with multiple times a week. And I just did, it did, nothing made sense to me. Nothing in this group made sense to me. So I just spent hours and hours of hours of time on my loan alone and I three years of therapy, I've said that it it was great for me because I spiritually ad- ad- connected in a way that I don't think I would have if I hadn't been in such like abyss of just nothing and no purpose feeling. But I also say that I feel like it very much damaged me, my ability to like social cues. It took me a very long time to just figure out very basic social things because really up until fifteen, I was very isolated from the world mm-hmm. and this is not just like isolated from I mean we're talking no no tv no radio nothing no outside influence whatsoever whatsoever the only thing I had was a newspaper and I would check basketball scores and that's, no. kind of, that's the kind <laughs> of isolated it was um right. obviously I have my dad and my brothers that were great but um you know as if you look at any development it's not healthy for a kid to have have that i also remember um the isolation part as a child didn't strike me as weird i thought the world was scary um i was terrified to go out ever because people always made fun or were really stared and i always felt really embarrassed about how we dressed i felt it from the time i was young um but i felt like because I was born into this, I was born into like a higher, um, entity. And so I could never go back and like be world people. Like I wanted to be world people, but I was like, I was already born into this. So I don't have a choice. I have to wear these clothes. I can't cut my hair. I have to adhere to these rules because quote unquote, it's more holy and more godly. Um, And so I felt that very, very young. I felt that shame about my body. And that was something that grew in me um, for a long time. So, yeah, that's that was kind of just a little bit. As you know, it's it's hard to condense. Yeah, um, it's a it's a lot, a lot of trauma and story there for sure.
1: Now, let's let's take a step back, too, and talk a bit about um, this disease that you were born with mm-hmm. and kind of how that affected your childhood as well and yeah. how that progressed.
2: So, I was born with mitochondrial disease, but we did not know that at first I had it. Um, I was born healthy. The only thing I had wrong was a slight uh deficiency, and that was it. And as I grew up... Um, I was pretty much very healthy, active super active, loved to be active, somewhat of having influence of four older brothers um I wanted to compete all the time, but we started to know i would say as a kid um the first thing i that stood out to me but didn't ring a bell was the fact that I injured very easily. My joints would injure and were very like it would always make like a joke with my friends, like floppy wrist and floppy hands, and we'd always like you can do all these tricks. And like, it was like a joke. Um, And I always kind of noticed it. But I guess I was like, I guess it's just one of those more injury prone people, you know. Um, And then as I started hitting puberty, which is very, this is common with some genetic diseases, which is where more stressors happen. um, My body started becoming symptomatic within about, um, you know, within about a year, it started becoming symptomatic. So I started passing out. I started getting extremely fatigued over things that I normally didn't at all, you know, things that I could do. I was having to lay down a lot more, but still mild enough. Like I went to the doctor and they were like, nothing's, you know, super wrong. So I was like, okay, I'll just deal with it. And then in 2011, um, December of 2011, there was a really bad neural virus going around mm-hmm. and, um, How old were you at this time? I I was 14. Okay. So I'd been having mild symptoms. We had done some trying to figure out what was going on, but had been like, I'm still kid growing pains, you know, you know. Um, And so I was 14 and um, I got the norovirus, got it very bad. I mean, you know, sick 30 times in a night, just you one of those ones, like you have nightmares about getting, you know, those sicknesses, yeah. um, and I never recovered. I never recovered. So, um, people, my some family, people, my family started noting like you have looked, the past couple months. You've looked really pale. Like you have, you seem to lose weight. They noticed it, and then in the spring, it got so much worse. I started thinking I have an ulcer. I realized I've lost thirty pounds, and I was never been big. Um, and all of a sudden I'm going and all of a sudden it turns from not sure what's going on to, I haven't even taken food for a month at all. Um, and so through a, I would say about an eight month process of testing, um, treatments and, and all of that, we kind of finally figured out. I had a uh, mitochondrial disease, Ehlers-Danlos and gastroparesis, which was the main things that were making me so sick. I went to kidney failure several times as a teenager as well. Um, And it was just kind of one thing after another. But the ironic part about all of this is that um, being at the hospital, because we were such an isolated group, we never did. I mean, not a single thing was done outside of the group, not an interaction with another person, not an activity, not nothing nothing you didn't go out to a baseball game with your family you know so being in the hospital was like the most in the world really any of our family had ever been and it was within weeks we were already becoming so transformed because we were sitting there saying like our whole lives we had been told only we're the only Christians basically and then all of a sudden you have a nurse who comes in at night when you're crying in pain and my dad's sitting there like, How can we help her my fifteen my year old daughter? And she just sits down and kneels down and prays next to your bed and then just you know, and you, you all of a sudden you realize all this stuff we were taught is just ups that's not right. And um, after months of that, we started getting to a point where it was like, we don't really miss camp. We don't really miss Mm. meetings. Like, when I'd be in the hospital, like, I feel like we're having a better time in the hospital (laughs) than we are actually at meeting. Right? I feel like it's like, you know... and so it was just like, so slowly over time, I just, I remember having this moment. I mean, it was like July of 2012. I can distinctly remember it. 2012 getting mm-hmm. sick was just a turning point in my life because like I said, it started taking me away from the cult. And I had this clear and distinct realization that my favorite nurse, I loved her to death still to this day, I love her to death, Katie Hughes, um, mm-hmm. that, Because she had short hair, she was not evil and going to hell. And I could be friends with her. Wow. This was a clear realization at 15. At 15, just to tell you how deep-seated the brainwashing was. That in my mind, I thought that if someone cut their hair, I couldn't even be friends or speak with them. Absolutely. And like that, (laughs) once I realized that, then everything (sighs) else started to crumble. And within a year, within a year, I started going to, you know, school. And I I told my dad, I said, we either completely change or I'm done with it. And once I'm 18, like I'm Mm. going somewhere else because, and he he came along beside me and ended up being marked and we we ended up kind of going through it together. But there's no doubt in my mind that being sick um, was the reason why, we were able to be out of the cold and it had a profound effect because my my dad leaving my brothers left my uncles and aunts left it really wow. started a huge chain and then into california so it just kind of yeah destabilized he my dad through this because of what he what he uh, saw in the hospital he would speak about it he would speak about like there's an Amish person who's encouraging me. There's a Muslim person who's encouraging me. There's a a, a Baptist and a Methodist that are encouraging me. Right. There are diff- different races, different backgrounds. And it's like, it doesn't right. matter. Love yeah. knows no boundaries. And yeah. so he challenged the, the head of the, mm-hmm. he challenged the headman. And it destabilized it because no one expected that he would. Um, but he followed what he believed, you know, his spirit was telling him and it destabilized it. And so I don't take credit for it and he neither would he, but I definitely think that it was used as a tool to just, we all should be thanking him. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like just the infrastructure. I mean, for him to, I think about the time when he went in front of, you know, 300 plus people in Charlottesville and, uh, you know, said, Hey, I'm done. This is wrong. This is wrong in front of his best friends and some of people that he had known his whole life. And he said, I don't care what happens to me, I don't care what consequences happen, I have to speak the truth. Walked off and got marked right then, got excommunicated right then. Yep, yep. Wow. Um, So we don't take credit for it, but yes, God used that. The spirit used that. The universe used that. And I think that if that didn't happen, I think that there would be a lot of structures much more in place because as I can recall an uh, upper upper level talk leadership yeah <laughs> yeah upper leadership there was talks of um, a compound in Oklahoma mm-hmm. and you know living together and we were heading in that direction I mean that's how mm-hmm. that's how extreme this was uh, right. sometimes I put that in there to to illustrate like how extreme
1: it's progressing yes yeah yes yeah it's getting worse Yep. Yeah, so that's a wow. lot of that. Yes, but that is that is amazing. And so with your hospital stay, obviously that, you know, started some huge changes for your family. Mm-hmm. And your health at that point, you're about 14 when it really went downhill, mm-hmm. and you're 25 now. You've never really been um, truly healthy since then. You've just no. kind of been fighting this disease mm-hmm. and doing what you can.
2: Yeah. So okay. since, since I began getting sick, um, I've had 35 surgeries in these past 10 years. Mm. Um, I have had, I mean, I can't, I can't even list to you all the, the amount of times I've had organ failures. Okay. Um, you know, time, I mean, literally doctors rushing in saying, Hey, we might have to pull out half your intestine other times saying, Hey, we might have to go on brain surgery. You might not make it through, you know, I mean, it's just stuff that just, all kinds of stuff, but even more than that, even more than those moments, it was, it's been the day and day out. Like I've had a feeding tube. I've had a port. I access it. I, I spend hours a week. And for the past 10 years, I've spent hours a week doing IV treatments and tube treatments that I take care of myself. And I taught them how to do it because I wanted to go to school. I wanted to be independent. And I think the thing that, um, became, It war took a toll on my body was that I did it all I did it all and I did it every day and you know if you look at the past 10 years I've made less than it than than you know five major mistakes and they Mm. were major but (laughs) like for every day for 10 years um you know I, I i since starting hospice i've i've kind of been able to grasp the exhaustion of 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 being in pain every day mm. um and it's making me a little bit emotional now because I i'm still processing that um right of not having to you know i have to take my comfort meds but like it's not misery like it's not like okay now i have to access my port. i've got it this is a 45 minute process and if i don't then i'll you know i can just wake up and just live and be wow. comfortable and maybe i'm kind of groggy and sleepy but right. um yeah i i think it's it's been such a fight and it's been one that i've i've in my heart i've said continue fighting because this is going to lead to something bigger and i didn't know what it was but As I made this decision, it was so clear when we made it. Me and my family made it. Um, And to some degree, I'm like, this 10-year battle, it it was for this to to, to show people and to be able to talk about the 10-year battle Mm
1: -hmm. and talk about how I got
2: through that. Um, Right. Because I can't tell you how many times I should have died during that. I mean, at least once a year through that time. At least once a year was like, you could have died for sure. Wow. Um, And
1: you and you working through that and taking care of yourself to become so independent that in turn gave you some opportunities, right. To go to college. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's exciting. So I got to go to
2: college and be a part of the basketball team for two years. Um, it was the most fun I'd had in my life. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, just being a college student, nobody really knew I was sick. I kind of just kept it under, I did everything at night. Um, People were always yeah. like, "What? You're sick?" Like, I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> I kind of rely on IV and, and and feeding. Like, I don't really eat that much, and I you know seizures and patent You're like, what?" <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it, it was such a. I was a kid. You know, I got to be a kid yeah. for a while, and it was um one of my better stretches of health. But I was passing out a lot, so it was like better. Yeah. But but. You know, it ended very abruptly on one night. Um, hmm. And I'm good. Uh, it's always the hardest home to get through. Yeah, I bet. I bet. You just take your time. Um, one night I came home, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but I'll just give an overview <laughs> for the story. Um... One night I came home and, uh, my house friend, my housemate who I was good friends with, I was house friend housemates with two guy friends. They were both lawyers, really, really good friends, really great housemates, everything. One of them had invited a friend over. I had never met that friend before. Um, Four weeks before, I had been in the hospital fighting sepsis, which is a bloodstream infection. And I had a, yep, for about 24-hour period, I had about a 40% chance of surviving. I was really bad off. I was still recovering and still doing IV treatments through this, when I, at, this at this night. We hung around in the kitchen, whatever, and I took my treatments and went upstairs. He actually recognized I had a pick line. He actually said, why do you have a pick line? And I said, just for medical stuff. And I went upstairs, I did my medical stuff, and I went to bed. Now, during that time, I was hooked up to three medical things. I had an ivy pole, I had a backpack, so I had three medical lines coming out of me. And that night, that man decided to break into my room and um, assault me. And uh, the only thing I could do was... uh, and I apologize. This is, this is gonna, I'm gonna put a trigger warning for this just for any survivors. Um, I could only plead for him to stop, but I could do nothing because I was tied up in cords, so I had no ability to, to fight, which mm-hmm. was, um, the worst feeling in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and basically what happened with this was I was three weeks away from getting off of my two of my IV treatments. I was mm. on the swing up and we were about to celebrate it with me and my doctors and I immediately had to move. I left for Texas and I ended up, um, just everything went wrong at the wrong, wrong like everything went wrong at the right time. Mm. So I went to Texas for a while, came back, ended up in the streets, ended up in a homeless shelter, Ended up in just bad places, not knowing who I was anymore. Um, mm-hmm. feeling no control over anything, feeling like nothing mattered. It was just all a gray space, and I felt like my life was ruined. I felt like I had had this purpose, and I had had this thing building up, and then this randomly, this one guy just couldn't leave me alone for one night, and so it took me a long time. Mm-hmm to find myself again in that and it's still it's a lifelong process Mm. but I had to after that event after going through court after the media after the still ongoing stuff I had to find myself again and I had to find my wholeness and my value and my deservingness of you don't deserve ever to be treated or touched or harmed in Mm. any way right by right. anyone yep. under any circumstances. Right. And it's just been years of therapy, of support, mm-hmm. of, of, of doing that day in and day and out. You mm-hmm. did not deserve this. Right. You did not fail at life because of it.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.
2: PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. He did not cause your life to fail. He caused pain. But pain... And happiness are somewhat in one. You just right. got to see it yeah. that way. Yeah. And so that's when I started. So, one of the things, the results of that is it took a big hit on me physically. Mm-hmm. It took a really big hit on me physically. I wasn't able to come off the TPN in the month, I had to come off of TPN. Um, which was the, one of the treatments I was on for my IV a year and a half later. Ugh. And that year and a half later cost me my liver and, and my kidneys. Mm. So oh I could gosh. no longer um, do TPN and I could no longer do feedings, only small amount of feedings. And that's what I've been doing the past two years. And I have just gotten to a wow. point where I've lost so much weight. It's it's very miserable for me to just try to live. Right, um, And I have... My body is is literally whack. Like, I'm full on lactating right now. My body doesn't know what's going on. Wow. Like, I have to pump right now. (laughs) Even my my doctors are like, this is really weird, but they said it was from a malnutrition imbalance. Oh, wow. Um, That's just like all over the place. Um, And so that event took away. Let I me mean, not say t- took away, but it altered my timeline here on Earth.
0: Right, right.
2: Um, and, on, and in one hand, it makes me so angry. I wish I could yell that to his face. I wish. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, I have to see the blessing of being able to live a short life and being able, a blessing of being able to enjoy everything in the moment when you're 25 instead of when you're 85. Right. And the blessing of being able to be an advocate and do advocacy work and to yes. speak to hundreds and hundreds and thousands of survivors, and work on policy change and whatever mm-hmm. it may be. And so, those two things exist in one in one thing. It, it doesn't. They're not separate. Just yeah. as grief, I mean, it's all these things. You know, right. like grief cannot exist without love. And and yeah. you know,
1: well, and you've. Something that's really terrible and you've used it for good. And why don't you speak a little bit more about the advocacy that you've yeah, had a part of to. and, you know, cause there's a lot there that I think yes. it's amazing that you have taken the time and you're, you know, an awful situation and you've oh. used it to really help others and, and be a voice for maybe many that weren't willing to speak out. And just what, it's just so amazing to me that you were in this really, really dark place. So speak a little bit about that and some of the opportunities that you had during that time.
2: Well, first off, this is my favorite part of after telling that part of the story. I love getting to this part because there's so much good on this. But I first want to take you back a little bit back to take us back to when I was 15 in the Mm -hmm. hospital. And I saw, I remember there was a moment with a nurse in that moment told me what my purpose was and it was a moment where there was a kid in the room right next behind me he was eight years old and i believe he had cystic fibrosis and i heard the whole thing um, he coded and passed yeah. away um he was eight years old i heard them doing compressions i heard them tell the family i heard it all and his nurse was also my nurse and I still remember about an hour later after everything, had, you know, come through and they had taken his body away and everything. She came into my room with a smile on her mm-hmm. face. I mean, just like, a not like a fake smile, like a beaming smile on her face. And it was just like, hey, I'm sorry. I've been so busy. Is there anything I can do mm-hmm. for you? And I just teared mm-hmm. up. And I, and I was like, can I do anything mm-hmm. for you? Like, you just saw a child mm-hmm. die. And you're asking me? Like, I'm sitting up in bed. I'm okay. Like, I'm in the hospital. But I'm I'm okay. Wow. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And you're asking me. You're having the wherewithal mm-hmm. to ask me if I'm okay. Wow. And I was like, I realized my purpose. My purpose is to give. And my purpose is to use whatever I'm given in life mm-hmm. to spiritually grow, awaken, and therefore help mm-hmm. others. And... I realized, too, in those moments, I learned how to recognize when you go through a lot of trauma, you begin to recognize when people are going through trauma, mm. even if they are not showing it. Right. And so I said a prayer during that time that I would be able to fulfill that mm. purpose. Wow. And so I had to remember that after this mm. happened. Absolutely. Because here, well, let's go into the advocacy. Yes. Because here's where that purpose really got fulfilled. Um, a month after the report came out um about my situation, it was on the news, um, several girls started reaching out. And it started with one, two, and three, and four, and five, and on down the list I think we're at like fifteen by now, something like that. And um one girl actually moved back from Washington State to virginia to report because she was like she felt so much guilt because she thought it was her fault that she didn't report Mm -hmm. for me and she wanted to do something for me so she moved back out here and she's now my best friend so that's first off first off that right there that was my i always thought i say that that's kind of my proudest moment of advocacy is is being able to develop that bond and i mean we're so we've been friends for years Mm. now but a couple things that I wanted. So here's a couple things with advocacy. So a few weeks before um, he was going to plead guilty, mm. um, we sat down with the prosecutors and I was like, I want to share. But from the beginning, I had been really private mm. about it. I did not want to share this. I was like, I am going to c- carry this to my grave and only my close friends are going to know wow. about it. And like That's the way I felt about it. I started changing as the girls told their stories and then I said I, st- I sat in the prosecutor prosecutor's office and I was like like give me some insight into this and um I can still remember him getting teared up and he said first off I want you to know that seven years it devastates me that he only is spending seven mm-hmm. years in that in that place um And he said, secondly, he said, you have already your determination, your fight, even without saying anything, you've been a leader. You've been a voice even without even even while you haven't been allowed to say anything. And so he said, you have the choice to speak or not speak. But he he said, I can tell you for sure you would impact more lives Mm. than you could ever know if you decide to speak out. And so I thought about it and I was like, I'm going to I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for my, for my sister survivors. And it was not an easy decision. I mean, to, to to be in court when he's pleading guilty and then coming right out and there's a room of four reporters. And, I mean, you're just yeah. like. Um, but I started that and then it just kept going. And eventually um, one of my goals was to get the three original women who spoke out Uh the three original women who spoke out, give them an opportunity to speak and share their story on a pop platform, mm. like on the news, on a big me social media platform. Haven't been able to do it with one of them because her trial still pending. Okay. But with two of them, I worked for 10 months trying to, well, I worked for three months tracking down a news uh, or a reporter that would cover the story. And after three months, I got a hold of um, Marissa at USA Today, who covered the Larry Nassar situation. She responded back immediately and said, when can I come out? We worked 10 months together on investigating him and the cheer gyms that he was involved Mm. with. And in January all about a year ago we had our first meet up and it was the first time all of us survivors were in the same room and it was the first time it was the first time that two of the three that I wanted to I, I promised them I promised them cuz their cases didn't move forward so I promised mm. them they would get a voice so when i sat there and they were interviewing them i was just oh. bawling cuz i was like I didn't know it would happen, especially with my pain and dealing with my stuff. And I was like, I actually made it happen. And then when it got released, it ended up being front page of USA Today. And their faces were put on the front page of USA Today. And I just, there was nothing I have fulfilled greater than that. I have passed, helped pass legislation. Um, I work in the Virginia Capitol, um, Virginia Capitol State Legislation. Um, helping advocate for bills that help survivors and but that moment was like that is
1: amazing
2: being able to give that to them because they didn't get justice and you know I always want to give more to them but at least a voice Um, and so the the grounding of my advocacy is raising awareness educating but also empowering my goal as an advocate is not to forget a louder voice it's to give a it's to spread my voice to other people it's to share my voice I, I hope that when people are around me they don't they don't just feel compelled by my story they feel compelled to share their yeah. story and um, I love that that's really what I have the goal that's why I share my story yeah. For a while, I felt like it was really selfish to talk about it and just talk about me. And, and I had to look at the bigger picture. I had to step out of my humanity and look at my spirit and say, this is bigger than me. You had to put your words out there and you let the world, you let universe, God yes. handle it from yes. there. And it may impact one person. And if it impacts one person,
1: it's Absolutely. It. That's always my philosophy, too for me it's more you know speaking out on other things and bringing humor to to the world but yeah. i always say that and I love it's like you yes with you. and you do you're so f- you it. you are going through this moment right now in life with humor and it it blows my mind when i see your tiktoks and your fun videos and i'm just like wait she's on hospice like does she yeah. know what that means? Love. <laughs> does she does she fully understand? But you do. And I just think, what a light that That's what makes it so yes. free. And and I know you like you've told me in a different time that you know you're you're pain free for the first time in your life. So you're just enjoying these moments. You know your days are limited. I get emotional. Yeah.
2: I get emotional like ten times oh, a day, just realizing I'm not in pain. Uh, I'm like, I'm not in pain. Oh I like it I, I can't even yeah. imagine. Like I don't remember. I don't remember what it was like to not be a baby you oh, know?
1: You are a guest. To...
2: <sighs> Thank you. No. Um but going 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 back to the humor thing really quick. I love humor. who's humor. Um I'm very uh, focused and intense, and I'm very passionate about you know creating change and, and being an mm-hmm. advocate and being that too. But humor is my break from that because I can't be like that all the time. And I joke about yes. anything. I joke I about anything <laughs> because you have to. to I find. love that. And so I, w- I want to let you know in the future Great. if you You're would right. if you if you would want to come up with some ideas of like some maybe morbid joke or some silly joke that we could do and do it. I would be. Uh, for it, like bring it together, that's like, yes, say, tell a oh joke that's like what happens when someone dies or something, and then just be like, You really, <laughs> really, you're gonna say that right now, like, just stuff like that. It would just be hilarious, like, yeah. You're like, nothing's oh my gosh. off limits. That you for even me. say that is amazing, like, just like you are the funniest thing you can think of. Uh, I, I think it'd be you, great, I love it. And,
1: I, it would be, wouldn't it? That would be fun. <laughs>
2: I mean, it just feels
1: terrible, but I think you're so amazing for even saying that because it is, I just, and it is what it is, you know, and I feel like you, I've seen you talk with your, your family and your dad and to see that it's acceptance of, of what is, and actually I had that question how did you know your whole life or majority of your life that your life expectancy yes. was um, different than the most? I wasn't most.
2: expected to make it through high. Like I wasn't expected to graduate high school. I was, I was super sick in my 14, 15, 16, 17 years. Like just, I, they really didn't think, I mean, they really did amazing. not think I was going to pull through. That is amazing. Um, and I fought through, I fought like hell to get through that. And, yeah. um, I never thought that I would ever be free from it. And I always had a sense of my life. They, doctors, from after I kind of overcame everything, they stopped telling me time frames. And they would tell me stuff is serious. Like, they would say, like, I would ask, like, so how am I on the malnutrition scale? And they're like, um, like, the worst of all our patients. And I would just (laughs) be like, oh, right. Okay. And they'd be like, like, you've always been. You're like, I win. win. (laughs) You're like, I'm it, it would just, right i'm like i'm on the competition do i get oh a star
1: wow i just
2: do need to ask yeah really like, do i get a star and um mm. and so they would say stuff like that like they would be like i mean well like half your kidneys are like not working i mean they right. would be but they kind of right. were with me like what are we gonna do about it so they never would really tell me like oh this 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 but I always knew I knew and I would say over the past year, this sense has gotten stronger that it's coming. My body has started to lose. I would say over the past year, I've been living a little bit harder in life, like living, trying to live a little fuller, pushing myself more because I um, I had a neurology doctor tell me in June that I could that I was I'm developing neuropathy and that within the next mm. year or two, I may lose all feeling in my legs. So I was already mentally preparing. Like last summer, I was like trying to do a lot of different stuff because I knew if I wasn't going to die really soon, I was going to start losing some big mobile, either neurological, real mobile things that are big, you know, big chunks of my life. Um, and so I've been mentally preparing and then as it's gotten closer, I, I literally journaled and in, in January, I said, I think my body's getting close. I said, I just feel it in my spirit. I'm I'm getting to where I'm getting out of my hum- human body more and more, just slightly. Like it's just slightly, like I can just touch other things from the, you, and it's not a, uh, something I can see, but I can just feel it. Like I feel, um, like I can just, I'm touching the other side, but it's just kind of like, You're near, and so, but but at the same time, it's like it's there, but it's also telling me like, this is your like last chapter. Like, soak this chapter up. Like, um, you know, I tell people I'll talk about heaven, I'll talk about all that stuff if it comforts you. But for me, I'm at peace with all of that, and I just want to have fun right now. If you want to talk about it and it's like a comfort for you, then that that's. You, that's totally fine but for me I really am at peace I get to be I mean it, it, this will make me emotional again because uh, there's a quote that said uh there's no big deal I'm not going anywhere I'm just dropping my body <laughs> like yeah. wow. I'm just dropping my body but my spirit's still around Yeah. um wow. and I thought mm. about how I've never my body even though I was not as sick as a kid I've never had a, a fully healthy body in my but then this body this body which has been just a shell it's just a shell yeah. this is that's that's why I'm not scared because this is just a shell like whatever you believe right. your spirit exists within you and you're this is mm-hmm. this is going to go away and so I'm not I'm not attached to this I'm 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 appreciative of it because it's given me 25 years but I'm not attached to it um, but just thinking of, I, I, my body will be like, I, I just think of when I take that last breath, like my body will finally be at rest. It'll finally be safe. It'll finally not right. have, not be wondering, am I about to die? Am I about to be assaulted? No, no, right. You know what I mean? Like it's finally right. just going to be peace. At rest. And that's such a comforting thing in my soul. So like every moment of this, there's a lot of grief, but so much of it is joy. It's like, even mm. when you are grieving, it's like happy tears because it's because of what you have. It's not because. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah.
1: But I, yeah, I just commend you for that spirit though, too, because this isn't the norm, I would say for someone that is on hospice and, Um, so it's so neat, I think, for you to share this experience in your last days with the world. And I, I see it in your TikTok videos and how you're speaking out. You're, you're making it be a less scary thing. I think probably for a lot of people out there, whether it's that they're near that point in their life or they have family members, because I think it is, it's a very scary end of our life type thing so you're bringing topics, he,
2: I, I found the niche in talking about topics nobody wants to talk about
1: yeah when absolutely think,
2: when think about like sexual assault and death yeah, yeah. right I'm you're about, like i got it i'm like yeah man that's about <laughs> like like let's say child sexual abuse and like death like yeah. let's let's talk about the two last things on the earth that anybody wants to talk about and yes right. and yeah I'm the craziest silliest person right on the face of the earth.
1: yeah and you yeah. have to be
2: uh, yeah and and, and you wouldn't thing, be the
1: place you're at without without choosing yeah to, and one, to, to be that
2: one thing I want to add to about you were saying about my spirit is is there was there was a little bit of conflict but it wasn't real conflict it was definitely like a nat conflict. it was just it was like a voice that was trying mm-hmm. to negative and it was like well, what will people think of you if you don't yeah. look like you're in hospice but will people have compassion on you will people even care if you don't look sick well if you are happy and living life and right. is anybody you know like you know like all people think you're faking it like what if people mm-hmm. don't take you serious like all those different things that will go through your head of like people are going to think you're over exaggerating and then just the right. endless loop and I just had to just say I said it in a video, I actually clipped it and I put I it. Saw that. I clipped it and put it on on a reel of just saying those people's opinions are not gonna be me. With be with me when I take my last breath.
1: Right. Right. And I had a So to you leave, do you I have yeah. to leave it at that. Yes. And and you're doing this in such an amazing way. And and you don't know I don't even know. You know it. Like how tomorrow's going to be or what, or what, you know, maybe tomorrow's, maybe today's the last day that you're able to sit up and have a conversation with someone. Which is why I I try, you know, yes. And you keep pushing and, and so who's anyone else to say how you feel or how you should be acting on hospice. So I think it's great that you are just being yourself. And again, I think it is, it's bringing, again, I've never in my life heard someone explain talking about the experience of hospice. And so I think it's bringing just this whole new thing to this very unknown thing for a majority of the world. Yeah. yeah. And, so I, I and I just think, think that's so what cool. I was
2: saying of like these 10 years. I think that, cause I, I kind of thought I was going to die as a teenager. And I remember there was a sense, mm-hmm. I was like, no, you're not, but you kind of feel like you are. And I, as time has gone on, I've kind of gotten this voice that's been like, Those 10 years were preparation to be able to talk about these things that no one can talk about. Because if you had died at 15, you wouldn't, you may have been able to talk about it to some degree, but in some way, people might have dismissed it because you're 15. Like, whatever it may be 10 years of experience, 10 years of living through stuff, abuse, attacks court you know like all these different things and that will give you the strength to be able to not be like oh my gosh what do people think of me like to be able to be like that's a comment don't worry about it like all these years I feel like have been preparation to still to sit here and talk about this just from my heart just straight open from my heart and I make it a goal every day to put up a video um And I make it a goal because it's a great goal for me because if I'm feeling really, really bad, then I can just make a really short video and just say, Hey, I'm not feeling good. And I get something done that day. And that might be the only thing I get done. And then if I am feeling better, then it gives me an opportunity to answer questions and articulate my thoughts and I want to work on a book. And so I'm using this as a way to like answer questions and put together thoughts and and now they can yes. work, you can organize like your TikTok. So I'm trying to, yes. like, as we talk about, because we have multiple, I have lots of content to get into. Right, too. you have like, all TikTok. the subjects. I yes. Mean, yes. So much. You can just see right here, just this. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like so right. much. So, so I have much. plenty of content to go, but yes. um, it's it's been a blessing just in that way of just like having at least one thing a day that I have that's something Constant I can get done. On, get yeah, that done yeah at least one one thing every couple of days that I'm expressing how I'm feeling I'm you know I'm getting that out and so right and then just seeing yes. people have been so positive and so giving and it. people have been asking asking to give money so I finally you know I told them I'm not asking for money but they gave like two hundred dollars or something oh that's so very sweet. very kind like and I yeah. and I was like trust me I'm gonna go like Ice cream for my friends, or something with it. Like, yes. Oh. I was like, it's not gonna be going to cocaine or anything. I promise. Yes. <laughs> I promise. You've so, already got the good stuff, to, so you I know everything I want legally. Legally, like yeah. I call them and they deliver it to me. Fentanyl, <laughs> diluted morphine, like anything. Well deserved. Yeah. Yes. You know after yes, after, very after this fight. Hey, they told me, they said, from this point on out, you should really never not feel like you should always feel good. And I was like, oh, that's so great. All right. I am at I have to go, but you have to go. Yeah, I would love to talk a little more because I have some things I would like to ask you and like to. absolutely. And I just think there is so much. I'm also on drugs. I'm also like Yeah, no, we can talk
1: whenever we'll connect again. I hope you enjoyed this very first episode of the Shiny pants show and the interview with kayla you can find kayla on instagram and tiktok at n-e-g-u-k-a-y and i will be leaving that handle in the show notes as well so you can find her there and please if you have time go and drop her a quick message leave her a nice little word of encouragement and show her some love thanks guys <laughs> Thank you so much for being here for another episode of the Shanty Pants Show. I really appreciate your support, so please leave me a review and some stars and share my show with all of your friends, because I'm sure they will want to hear it as well. And if you just can't wait for next week and you need to know what I'm up to in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Official Shanty Pants and on YouTube and Facebook. At Shanty Pants.
0: See you next week. The moment it's time to turn the page. Hold up. What was that?